my name is Ali. Um, I'm one of the elders of the church, and as always, it's great to be great to be here in Durham. Uh, Alan's over in Chester Street today, and uh, uh, we're excited about what God's doing. We're uh, like you, we're having baptisms at the end of February. It's a little plug there. Um, 24th of February, um, and uh, we've already got at least three, um, possibly up to five people getting baptized who are brand new Christians. Um, so praise God for what He's doing. Um, so, yep. <laughs> Um, we're continuing our series in John's Gospel, and Prepare the Way is the title of this series. So if you've um, got a Bible, if you want to turn to John chapter 1, that'd be great. And I'm just going to pray as you, as you turn there. Lord, thank you so much for uh, what you've been doing already this morning. Thank you, God, that you've been speaking to us, and Lord, that you're here. It's just, uh, we don't want to take it for granted that... Almighty God dwells with us, your people, and uh, loves to be with us, Lord. It's amazing that you enjoy being with us. <laughs> uh, and Lord, we say we enjoy being with you, God, and we want to enjoy you now. We want to enjoy your presence, and we want to enjoy your truth, and we want to enjoy your grace as, we, as you pour out upon us, Lord. So please, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. <laughs> we're, we're a bit sleepy. Just give us attentiveness to what you are saying, Lord. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 1. Um, so we're at this section's all about John, sort of about John the Baptist. Uh, a lot of these first chapters are about John the Baptist, but uh, John's going to be continuing with it next week. I'm overlapping slightly into, into his section. He gave me permission, so that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, so John chapter 1, uh, verses 19 to 29. So, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent Jesus, sent Jews, didn't they, didn't, didn't send Jesus, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? And John answered them, I, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who are you? Who are you? That was the big question. That John the Baptist was being asked at this point in his ministry. He was getting a bit of a following. He had all the, uh, uh, the people who loved him, who had crowds of followers who, who were for him and who were kind of coming to him and saying, you're, the, you're, you're someone special. They, he was baptizing people um, for, the, for the forgiveness of their sins. And, um, but also he had people who came to him, like in this passage, who were not very happy with him. People who basically wanted to know what authority he had to be baptizing people. He was starting some sort of Jewish, Jewish sect, really, in their eyes. And they wanted to know, why do you do, what, why do you think you can do this? What, what authority do you have to do? Are you someone special? And, um, 
he goes, they go through a list of possible people that he could be. And first of all, he, he states who he isn't. He says, firstly, I am not the Christ. It's the Messiah. Uh, it's the, it means the same thing, Hebrew and Greek uh, translations. And it means the anointed one. The one who, the special one sent from God who was going to come and the Jews believed was going to um, kind of overcome the Roman oppressors who were oppressing them at the time and was going to lead them into, the victory, into victory. And John the Baptist says, no, I am not this Messiah, this Christ, this special one, chosen one from God. He knew that was Jesus who was to come. So he said, that is not me. And then he says, I am not Elijah. Bit of a strange one, perhaps. Uh, but this goes back to a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, where there's a prophecy that, says that God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so there was this Jewish expectation that Elijah, who was a great prophet in the Old Testament, who never actually died, was going to come back and was going to, was going to sort of, usher in this new era, this end times age, um, when so there was going to be a special person, Elijah, who was going to return. And John says, no, I am not Elijah. And then thirdly, he says, I am not the prophet. And the prophet refers to another Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where Moses, a great prophet and leader in the Old Testament, says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And so, again, there was this expectation there was going to be this, this, the prophet, this prophet who was going to come from God in this, in this end age, who was going to be an authoritative voice, prophetically, from God to the Jewish people. And John says, no, I am not the prophet. No, 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 I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. And so they're getting pretty annoyed by this point. Like, Seriously, you're baptizing, you're doing this stuff which seems to be an authoritative act and now you're saying you're not all these special people that we think could possibly do that thing that you're doing. So they say again, who are you? And really, what you detect behind that, what I detect behind it, is, is more kind of, who do you think you are, John? Who do you think you are? And at this point, the door is wide open. They've just left it wide open for John to, to give a great pronouncement about who he is. Who do you think you are? And John could have come up with all sorts of answers, which would have been quite impressive. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, says, Among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So he could have said, okay, here I am. I am the one, the greatest one who has ever been born of a woman. In other words, the greatest one who has ever been born. Um, And (laughs) that's pretty impressive. That might have stopped them in their tracks. Okay, fair enough. A little bit arrogant, but, uh, or how about, um, Jesus? He's related to Jesus, the cousin of, I'm, I'm, I'm related to the Messiah, to this Christ, this promised one from God. That would have been fairly impressive again. Or I think my favorite one, uh, which we can get from Luke chapter 1, verse 15, is he could have said, I'm the one who was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time I was in my mother's womb. Now, that's, that's a pretty impressive claim. Not many of us could probably make that claim. But that, that's what happened according to Luke chapter 1. So all of these impressive things he could have come up with. But what does he say? He refers to yet another Old Testament passage. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I am a voice. That's not that impressive. Actually, I don't want that one yet. Sorry. We just go back. <laughs> I'll, I'll flick it with this. I am a voice. 
That's not that impressive. The voice, a voice doesn't draw attention to itself. A voice is, is, is as it were, um, he's not saying I'm this, this person that you can look at, but a voice is, is almost pointing away from itself, speaking of another. I'm simply a voice. It's not about me. The attention isn't on me. I am pointing to, I'm speaking of, I'm testifying of another. There is one who is far more glorious, far more worthy than I am. In fact, he says, this one is one whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to untie. And what does the voice cry? Make straight the way of the Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. John, as a voice, is focused on the coming of God in all of his glory and all of his splendor. That is his obsession. He's not speaking about himself. He's not a voice saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. I could, I could name this thing about me. I could name this thing about me, which is good, which is impressive. He's saying, no, I'm simply a voice. That's my role, just to be a voice. And there is one who is far greater, whose, who, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie, who I'm speaking of. And it's all about him. He is my obsession. He is, he is my life's calling. He is the one that my life is utterly devoted to. He is my passion and he is my prize. That is what John the Baptist is all about and you know God is saying to us as a church at the moment that he is giving us a John the Baptist calling it is a time where we are called to be a voice and we are to be a voice which is utterly obsessed by the person of Jesus a voice which is pointing to Jesus which is saying it is all about him he is the one that we are living for I'm not pointing to myself but I'm speaking of another And if we look at that whole passage in Isaiah 40, it is beautiful in terms of how it magnifies the glory of God and how it speaks about his great coming. So let's just read it through. A voice cries. A voice. That's us. John the the Baptist. And then sort of prophetically, we can apply it to ourselves. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Come on. Does that make your, I mean, this is, this has been fulfilled in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we are the, we are the primary fulfillment of this passage. That would be bad Bible study. But, but, but in Jesus, this has been fulfilled. But now we believe God has given us a mandate as a church to, to carry that and almost to, to open up the, the curtains that were afresh on the person of Jesus that his glory would be revealed. Because the glory of the law being revealed actually connects us back with something that was um, in the previous section of John chapter 1. What is the glory of the Lord? That's often talked about. What is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory of the Lord? Well, John chapter 1, verse 14, tells us what it is, I think, in its most full form. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of the Lord is Jesus <laughs> in its most full, beautiful way. It is, it is the stunning beauty of Jesus Christ. And so we're saying we want to reveal the glory of the Lord to the world. That is what it means to prepare the way of the Lord. It is pointing to Jesus. It is, it is making space for Jesus to be magnified in us and through us. And then the next day comes. So he's, he's done this sort of uh, referring back to, to his role. I'm just a voice. I'm just preparing the way of the, for the glory of the Lord. And then the next day comes. And he lifts up his eyes. 
And everyone else is like, wait, there's this man coming the distance. He doesn't look very impressive. But John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, here he is. This is the glory of the Lord. He's being revealed right now. This is the fulfillment in many ways of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. He is here and I'm calling him a lamb. And, you know, John the Baptist was a crazy man. So we're called to be crazy. That's good. Um, <laughs> prophetic. Uh, I mean, he ate locusts and wild honey and he looked weird. And, he was, and, and these people know he's weird, but now they just think he's really, really bonkers. Because he's pointing to a very ordinary man coming in the distance. And he's saying, this is the one that I'm talking about. <laughs> this normal man. He's not a king. He's not royalty. He's not military leader that you're expecting. It's just him. And actually, I'm calling him a lamb. The glory of the Lord is revealed in Jesus Christ, who is a sacrificial lamb. That's the glory of the Lord. <laughs> and so the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning, and God wants to ask us as a church, is who are we? Who are you? Who are you? What's your life's calling? What's your life all about? <laughs> what are you doing with it? Because every moment goes by, every day goes by, every year, month goes by, a year and however young or old we are, we've got to ask the question, who are, what are we doing with this thing, this thing called life, which is very short and which God has given to us as a gift? And he's saying, actually, we as a, we as a church believe God is saying, I mean, it's not new, it's for all people really, but re- reminding us today this, in this season that we have a John the Baptist calling, that we are called to point to Jesus, that we are called to declare the glory of the Lord and to reveal the glory of the Lord in Jesus. And the picture... Uh, what have I just done with that clicker? The picture <coughs> God gave me when I was preparing this. <coughs> um, <coughs> I don't know why I picked the German football team, but anyway. Um, <coughs> uh, there wasn't a recent one of England winning the World Cup, so I went for Germany. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, no, this was, I, did, I went for the 1966 one, but it just didn't look... This, this, this was a better picture, unfortunately, despite it being German. So just ignore that part of it. Unless you're German, then you can enjoy it. Um, <coughs> but anyway, it was a, of, of a football team winning, winning the World Cup. And um, like this just pictured it for me of, of there is this excitement and there is this passion, there is this exuberance in those people. They are joyful. And what are they doing? What are they, what are they really joyful about? What are they exuberant about? They're exuberant about this cup, this, this trophy, which they're lifting high. And Jesus to us needs to be like that trophy. He needs to be the one that we want to get a touch of. We all want to, we all want to gather around. We're all kind of hugging in and say, this is the one that we're for. This is the one that we're all about. This is the thing we've been living for, that we've been training for. And now we want, now we want to declare him to the world. We want to lift him up to the world that all would see, that every eye would see, every heart would understand that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that they would see that he is beautiful. Because that's, quite nice but actually Jesus is far more beautiful and we have so much more to shout about and to sing about and to be exuberant about than the German football team and even if we win again as England then our team and so praise God praise God God wants the glory of Jesus to be like that cup for us the attention isn't actually on them really the attention the the, the focus of the pictures and stuff you know it'd be weird if they took a picture and took half of the team but missed out the cut that's in the center that's the thing that the, the, the camera's really zooming in on that your that your, that your eyes are drawn to as you look at that picture 
And so for us, that's what the focus, we're simply a voice. Or to change the analogy, we're simply the hands, <laughs> which are lifting Jesus up, which are, just, which are just exalting him and saying, this is the one that it is all about. Who are you? What are you doing with your life? It's all about him. And we can talk about revival, and we're talking about revival in this season a bit, and we're, we're saying, it's, but really it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> it's just, you, don't, you don't manufacture revival. You don't manufacture God coming in his power. It comes first and foremost, I think, as we are centred on him. And I'm sort of going, my, yeah, the message is going to mix up a little bit because that's, that was the end point. But we'll get there again. I'll repeat myself. That's fine. But it is all about him. And so what I felt, felt as I was just going through this passage and praying, I felt God put two, um, I felt him give me this phrase, that basically, before we can say to the world, prepare the way of the Lord, before we can, as it were, make straight a path in the desert for the Lord to come to the world, God first needs to make, a, make straight a path in our own hearts. He first needs to prepare our hearts. And what I believe God wants to do this morning is do a preparatory work in our hearts. A preparatory work for revival. So that's quite significant, I think. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the two sort of words are humble, humility, which we learn from John the Baptist, and the Jesus-centeredness of John the Baptist, which we've touched on and we'll refer back to. So let's just dwell on those. Firstly, John was very humble. Again, these things have come out as I've retold the story, but I just want to dwell on it and flesh it out for us. As we've said, he was the voice. He was simply happy with being the voice. Are you happy just to be the voice? That means... It doesn't matter what title you have, or what position you have, or what status you have in life, because it's really not about you. You're just speaking of another. You're just saying it's about him. As I said, John could have, he could have easily had, a, he could have just cracked on it. And that was a key moment in his life where he could have just said, right, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to be pretty, imp- I'm going to continue to do this great baptism. I'm going to get the crowds coming, they're going to get a great following. I'm going to get all the disciples who are following me. It's going to be great. And he would have completely missed the point. And we live in a culture that is very me-centered. Where it all revolves around me. And so it's my career and it's my family and it's my money and it's my ministry and it's my whatever else. And it's about me and it's about really, it's about me and the people very close to me being, being at the center of our world and having everything so that we are, everything, everything else fits around us so that we... Um, have it as we want it to be. Does that make sense? And that's, that's how the world lives. And that's how I live quite a lot of the time as well. And, and God just wants to remind us again, it is not about us. John chapter 3, verse 30. I'm going to kick in someone else's message now. But <laughs> John says, he must, talking of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must de- decrease. He was a man of humility. Jesus doesn't exist for us. And for our glory. We exist. You exist for him and for his glory. That is your reason that you exist. It is a John the Baptist reason. It is for the glory of Jesus. Who are you? You are someone who exists for the glory of Jesus. If you're a Christian, that is suddenly what you have become. Because you know, actually, we could, to put it humility bluntly, we could say it's about dying. and It's about death. It is. Because when you become a Christian, you die. And you die to a life which is about your ambition and your personal 
welfare and your who you are and you being and, and you live to a life which is all about him now don't mishear me jesus cares about your personal welfare and so in response he then does great things in our lives he heals us and he and he blesses us and but it's not primarily first and foremost about me it is about him and in response he blesses we've got to get it the right way around and so 2 corinthians 5 verse 15 says jesus died for all that those who live that's believers in him might no longer live for themselves but for the but, for, but might no might no ugh, i'm going to say that again and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised so we've <laughs> got there so we died and we're now alive for his sake for his sake one of the amazing things about john the baptist is he was asked, are you Elijah? He said, no. And then Jesus comes along, however long later, sometime in the next three years, <laughs> in Matthew chapter 17, verses 12 and 13, it says this, I tell you that Elijah has already come for a second time. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. In verse 13, the disciples understood he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Wow. In other words, John the Baptist, Jesus didn't get it wrong. This was Elijah. It wasn't actually Elijah, but the spirit of Elijah, as it were, in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist didn't realize the significance of what he was doing. That's humility. It's about getting on with what God has called us to, faithfully serving, giving ourselves, but not worrying about what I look like or, 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 or the name that I'm going to have. And then I'll tell you what, as you do that, you will be exalted. Because it says in Luke chapter 1 that, that those who, who humble themselves will be exalted. And those who, who exalt themselves, who are prideful, will be brought low. And so God wants to say to us, be a people of humility. As we're a people of humility, and just... Um, even as a church, we're not worried about our kind of reputation or, or what we look like. Or what, but actually, we're just doing what, what God calls us to, faithfully serving, dying to ourselves corporately. <laughs> That's going to be painful because uh, revival is painful. Uh, then actually, God will exalt us and then we might see an, a mighty outpouring of his spirit. But first, we need to die. First, we need to die. And God will raise us up. This is the paradox of the kingdom of God. The way up is the way down. The lower you get, the higher you become. The smaller you get, the bigger you get. Jesus said those who lose their life will gain it. Those who are slaves will be exalted or whatever phrase he uses exactly. will become the great ones. Are the great ones. So how low are we going? How low are you going? The Azusa, the Azusa Street Revival of 1906 in Los Angeles was an incredible revival. Uh, and one person, uh, I was just reading about this, revival, it says, Revival humility submits to God's will even if it wrecks all selfish ambition. Revival humility submits to God's will even if it wrecks all selfish ambition. And one witness to that revival says, In that old building with its low rafters and bare floors, God took strong men and women to pieces and put them together again for his glory. It was a tremendous overhauling process. Pride and self-assertion, self-importance and self-esteem could not survive there. 
Imagine if we were a church like that. Another person said, the thing that impressed me most was the humility of the people. And I went to my room and got down on my knees and asked God to give me humility. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Humble ourselves. That's the call of God, I believe. And sometimes humility is a strange one. Because um, as soon as you try to be humble, you stop being humble. Uh, So how do you become more humble? Well, God gives it, first and foremost, it's fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, it talks about that being part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's something that God needs to do in us. And so the first thing is just say, God, do it. Do this. Just do something in me. Do this humility work of humility. I'm just going to lay it down. But actually, there is, a, there is something we can do. And the thing we can do, I believe, is not think about trying to be more humble, but is to think about the greatness of God. And think about how majestic and how full of splendor he is. And how unworthy we are in light of that. That's, that's what John did. He said, Jesus, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That is humility, but it's humility that wasn't forced. It's a humility who sees how great Jesus is. And says, actually, I am so unworthy. I am so unworthy. He is majestic, and I am very, 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 very small. And one of the things God wants to do in our system, I believe, make us a people who confess our sins regularly. <laughs> because as we confess our sins, we realise how it's not, it's not about, we, confess, we realise how unworthy we are. And that's not, to, so I'm going to stay down here. <laughs> that's not, so I'm not saying we, we don't confess our sins that we say, oh, woe is me, I'm guilty again, I'm down. The burden of sin. So, because as we confess our sins, at the same time we realise that Jesus takes it off of us. We confess our sins and we receive forgiveness. Um, we don't beg God for forgiveness. We receive a forgiveness that He's already given to us once and for all when we became a Christian. It's like we're just receiving it afresh. But the act of confessing our sins just puts us in the right place before Almighty God. <laughs> and so, if we're never confessing our sins individually or, or even corporately as a church, and this is perhaps a challenge. Some, maybe because it's not a big thing we do in our in our kind of church, is is actually are we are we coming to that are we posturing ourselves rightly before God? I hope that makes some sense. Anyway, I'll get back up. As we confess our sins and we see the greatness of God, the Psalms are a great place to start because a lot of quite a lot of confession, and a lot of greatness of God in the Psalms. Um, <laughs> And some other stuff. Um, pick some good ones <laughs> that, that help you do that first. But that you, it gets you in the right in the right frame of, in the right posture before God. So um, this, remember, this is all about posturing ourselves rightly before God, so that through, so that we are preparing ourselves, or He is preparing us for the great preparing work out there that He wants to do for an outpouring of His Spirit. So humility, and secondly, and I'll, I won't spend too long, I don't think, on this uh, because I've said some stuff. Is the 
is being Jesus-centered. John was so Jesus-centered. I just love verse 29, and this is going into John's passage slightly. So, but just, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He could have said lots of things about Jesus at that point. And sometimes, the thing is, John was so Jesus-obsessed because he really knew at its most core level who Jesus was. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus isn't simply, behold, my best friend who makes my life better. He's not, Jesus isn't someone cuddly who comes to help me. Jesus isn't someone who, even, he include, I'm not sure about the cuddly thing, but he includes all of this. But this isn't at its core level who he is. He's not at core someone who just works miracles in my life. At core, Jesus is a sacrificial lamb who was slain, who was slaughtered for the sin of the world. Because when we realize, actually, I should be that sacrificial lamb. I should, the weight of my sin means that I should be on that cross. I should be slaughtered. The, the blood, it's bloody. We were going to look at some passages, but we won't bother. But there are bloody passages in the Old Testament which speak about lambs being slaughtered. Leviticus 4 is one of them, if you want to go there at a later point. And, and it's like blood being poured on the altar. And, and it's, it's pretty horrendous when you read some of the Old Testament. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And then Hebrews 10 says that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. Those sacrifices never dealt with the sin, but Jesus did. And so it's like lamb, 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 lamb. And now John says, behold, the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one. And that, that is good news. Hallelujah. <laughs> It is good news because that should be me. And unless we really grasp that in our spirits, I don't think we'll live a life which is obsessed by Jesus. Because we realize, actually, I shouldn't even be existing right now. I'm existing. I'm a, I, the very reason I'm a believer and I've got this relationship with God and I'm not being wiped out dead right now is because Jesus died in my place. And so as a result, I want to lay my life down. I want to give my life away. I want to fix my eyes on him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, so returning to our initial question, who are you? Who are we? God says, he says to all, all believers, but at this time he's saying, I want, I'm, I'm calling you. It's a call, it's a, we believe it's a prophetic call as elders on the church right now to be a people crying out, a voice as it were, crying a voice. A voice. That's, that is, I think that's really important. But this might be caught that. A voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. But first of all, God turning his finger on you and on me. He's saying, make straight the way of the Lord in your heart and in my heart, in our hearts. Humility, Jesus-centeredness. In case you didn't realize, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Because the way you're humble is by taking your eyes off yourself and putting them on Jesus. That's the call. It's very simple, really. Um, so if the band could come up, that would be great. I realise I'm in everyone's way here. But. Let's just uh, yeah, close our eyes. Um, you might want to stand. You might want to sit. It's up to you. You can stand or sit, whichever you find. Just posture yourself. You might want to kneel. <laughs> posture yourself before God now. We've got the first song particularly. It's just a song of just crying out for our need for Jesus. <laughs> Our need for Jesus. It's a song of humility, really. A song of desperation. Right now, maybe just confess. 
to God. Say, there might be particular areas of your life where you know you've fallen short. It might just be the, the lack of, of desire for Jesus. That, that, going back to that picture of Jesus being like the World Cup that we're, we're holding up, that we're cherishing, that we're prizing, that we're obsessed by. Actually, that's not you right now. Just, just acknowledge it before him. And say, Lord, do a work in me. A work of humility. A work of Jesus-centeredness. Lord, we say corporately together this morning, we need you. We need you. Oh, how we need you. (laughs) We lay ourselves down. We die again. It says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. And I I no longer live. But he lives in me. That's a statement of humility. Lord, let that be true of us. We want to be a voice. We want to be a voice, Lord. We want to be a voice which points to you, Jesus. We want to be a voice which says, make straight the way of the Lord. The King is coming. The glory of the Lord has been revealed in the person of Jesus, particularly in the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. (laughs) But Lord, we say, please do that in us first. We say, make straight a way for you in our hearts. Come, Lord. Let's just worship. If you, if, if you have any words that you feel like God's speaking and you just want to share, please do come to uh, myself, Ian, John at the front. Um, if you want prayer, um, it might be personal, but just more better to respond where you are. But there might be actually something you just want someone to stand with you and pray for. So there'll be some ministry team members um, this side. Is that right? Um, so do come forward as we worship. Cheers, guys.